morning, church. Can you hear me? Awesome. I'll get my mask on for this one. So today we are reading from Luke 11, 1 to 4, and this will be the NIV version. So, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. This is the word of the Lord. So, Father, as we come before you this morning, we take a moment to take this this prayer and this guide to prayer and to um, just to, to sit with it and pray it as we come before you and come to hear what you would want to say to us in your word. We recognize you, God, as our Heavenly Father. We pray that your kingdom would come, that you would do what you want in our lives and in this world. We ask that you'd be our provider, providing the bread, the things, everything that we need. We seek forgiveness for that which we've done wrong, even as we extend it to others. We pray you would lead us not into, but even away from, protect us from temptation, that we may not compromise in our faith and our walk with you. And that you would deliver us from evil and from the evil one thwarting his plans and making a way that your own would come to pass in our lives. Speak to us now, we pray, as we open your word. Open our ears and our hearts to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, we began a... um, a series called The Master's Class, Learning to Make Disciples from Jesus Himself. And the basic premise of it is, is this, that when Jesus got to the point we read about in Matthew 28, right before he's to ascend uh, to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father, and said to his disciples, go and make disciples, baptizing them, uh, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these to do the same. I'll be with you. It wasn't this random command that came after three years of random experiences that the disciples kind of went, huh, what's he talking about? It was exactly what Jesus had been training them for for three years to make disciples, to, to go and do what he was now commanding them to do in the Great Commission. And so it's evident that the disciples, the 12, the, the 72, etc., they needed to learn Making Jesus' last command our first priority requires training. It requires learning how. When Jesus said, you know, pray that the Lord would send more laborers or workers into the harvest, laborers, workers need to learn how to labor to do the job at hand. Thankfully, this first group of disciples received this intentional, tailored training from their rabbi. They didn't get to the point, like I said, in Matthew 28, and he goes, okay, boys and girls, go make disciples with only a few clues. They, they knew how. They had received thorough, well-rounded, masterful training and development. They'd received this, this uh, formation of head, heart, and hands to go out. And that's what we're looking at in this series. And so um, 
If you are someone who knows how to be a disciple, who makes disciples, if you've got that down pat, you're like, I, I know how to do this, Luke. I got it. I, I, it's easy. Then you can go to the beach for the next few Sundays because there's no point in you being here. This series is for those of us who are saying, Jesus, please help. We need to learn how to do this. We need you to teach us. And I find it interesting that there was one point in the disciples' journey, about 2,000 years ago, where they said that exact thing, teach us, about a specific part of the discipleship journey. Interestingly, it, it comes right after the training around how to identify and share the gospel, the good news, with people of peace. So if you think about the two weeks ago, I spoke from, in particular, Luke chapters 9 and 10, and then where we see it lived out in the book of Acts later, about how Jesus taught them specifically with words to identify and pray for and move the conversation with people who welcomed them, people who were on a journey open and, and receptive to this news of the kingdom. And he, and, he, and we're on this journey too, to, with the hope of helping people who are receptive to discover Jesus for themselves. So he taught them, look for the, the man of peace, the person of peace. If they welcome you, stay with them. If they don't, you can move on. And, and he gave them specific instructions. Immediately after this teaching and this class, if you like, the very next chapter, Luke 11, the disciples are observing what Jesus is doing, how he is going about the mission. And they see something about the way he prays and see that it's significant. So they ask him, it's the title of today's message, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he gives them this lesson on prayer. Now, before we look at the passage, let's think about a little bit more deeply what's happening here. Um, Jesus has sat them down, the two chapters before, and has gone, right, do this, do this, do this. Go out in pairs. Don't take extra money, clothes, food. Look for the people who welcome you. Go into their house. Share the good news. It's all very, it's like a classroom lesson, if you like, from the master teacher. He's given them this verbal instruction. But then they are noticing something else. It's not just another classroom lesson and another talk and another sermon. He's, they're noticing along the way how Jesus goes about it because he's a practitioner, not just a teacher. It's not just as straightforward as, okay, boys, follow these five steps and then that'll get you to the goal. There's other key ingredients that they see that Jesus lives out and they realize that those feed into the bigger task. Um, one thing they notice is that Jesus seems to pray a lot in the mornings. So he's praying in the mornings and he comes back to camp and then they go, okay, let's go out on this mission that we're on together. And when they do... Jesus seems to get results. I won't say they didn't, but sometimes they didn't. <laughs> Jesus seemed to get results. And they're going, okay, something's different about what he's doing. Note that Jesus doesn't just teach them like a classroom teacher. Here's a lesson, go practice. He shows them. He shows them the way he went about it, not just giving them words of what to do. He models what's required. 
I think a lot of us focus so much on the words of Jesus. We go, okay, we, we listen to the stuff he said, the Sermon on the Mount, the teachings, the parables, you know, the, the words that Jesus said and, and live them out, at least the ones we're comfortable with. We can sort of put aside that, you know, woe to you Pharisees, you turn converts into children of hell. You know, we can leave those bits. We just take the words that we like Jesus saying, we, we focus on them. But admittedly, it's difficult looking at the way he lived it because it's just an account. It's not like I'm looking at Jesus here and I'm observing every move. So we, that's, I think, why we tend to gravitate to the stuff he said that's written down. I want to put to you that I think the records of the way he went about it is actually enough for us to, to observe his life, to see his way, what he modelled, and then learn also from that, not just the words he spoke. There's enough occurrences, for example, of Jesus getting up early in the morning to pray before the day gets started that makes me go, and I think should make us go, hey, that's not just because Jesus was a morning person. That was a very intentional decision that equipped him to do what the Father had called him to do. And so it needs to apply to us as well. Last week, Andrew jumped over to the Gospel of John, where Jesus gives them, in words, quite a few of them, a practical lesson on bearing fruit. And, and in, in essence, he says, to bear fruit, you, you know, like the, the good, what, we're, what we're working for here, the results we're looking for, you work really, really hard, right? <laughs> no, to bear the fruit of the kingdom, you what? Abide, remain in me, and then you will bear fruit. So he gives them a practical lesson. What that, what's that fruit? It's not just the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. In the context, I believe, of the, the Gospels, it's also the fruit of the harvest that he's been talking about sending them out into. Jesus, I think, in his words in John 15, makes a, a direct connection between prayerful connection with God and making disciples. They're in, in, intricately linked. But then the disciples also see it in Jesus. They don't just hear him go, you know, John 15, abide in me and, you, me and you'll bear fruit. Um, and they go, okay, cool, that's what we've got to do. They see Jesus living it out. And so they ask him, teach us, Jesus, to pray. Now, why do I say all this as context and background and, and kind of introduction? Because as helpful as the Lord's Prayer is, as a prayer pattern or a guide or even words to say when we aren't sure what to say, which is it's really helpful for that, it's ultimately a guide in how to pray while on the mission. Jesus' advice on prayer in the Lord's Prayer, it, it makes some sense if we're learning to pray for our material needs or learning to deal with our worries or wanting to pray for a new job or pray for a husband or a wife or whatever it might be. It makes some sense and it is to some extent helpful in that, but it makes complete sense if you're learning to pray as you go and make disciples because that's what the prayer is all about. It's the teach us to pray, Master, on this mission you've called us to and have been teaching us about as well. A friend of mine put it this way. A ship is safe in the harbour, but it's not designed for that. A ship is safe in the harbour, but it's not designed for that. His prayer is to be used on the mission, not just safe in the church. And that's the context 
of this, this, this section in Luke's gospel. Go and look for people of peace. Tell them the good news of the kingdom. See who welcomes you. Stay with them. Share with them this wonderful news. The kingdom of God is here. And then they go, okay, cool. But we see that prayer is important. Jesus, teach us to pray because we need this along the way. And so Jesus says this. So that's by way of introduction, and then we get to the prayer. When you pray, say. How about we, we say this together? When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, you may notice as you read that, Jesus got the prayer wrong. Right? That's not how it goes. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. No, I know I'm being silly. Aside from the, the old English, though, the prayer, of course, is not about a particular set of words or to recite. And even if we said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, what about your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Where's it gone? Um, lead us not into temptation. What about deliver us from evil or the evil one? Where's it gone? What Jesus is likely doing here in Luke 11 is simply giving them something they already know. What, why are the words missing? Well, here we go. Here's Matthew's version. I haven't put all of it up on the screen, just a few bits for comparison. Matthew chapter 6 is where this prayer is also recorded. Matthew records the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And this is early on in the journey. This is a little bit earlier in the three years he spends with his disciples. And in the Sermon on the Mount, it's what well, it sounds like. It's a sermon. It's clear, verbal teaching, right? Combined, it's not just this. He talks about giving, and he talks about fasting, and he, talks the, he says the Beatitudes, and salt and light, and he talks about all sorts of things in the Sermon on the Mount, this big, you know, all-inclusive teaching on the kingdom of God. And during that sermon, earlier on than, what happened, than where we're at in Luke 11, Jesus includes a slightly more detailed guide to prayer. So what you might say is, um, when the disciples asked Jesus later to teach them to pray in Luke's gospel, it might be the first recorded evidence of people not paying attention in a sermon and then having to ask later. <laughs> Bad joke. Uh, point is this. The model for prayer crops up more than once. It's, it's in Matthew 6, and then it's in Luke 11. And I don't think Luke just went, oh, I'll just take a few bits out. Thanks very much. The context is completely different. Over there, it's in the sermon. Here, it's in the, the, the journeying together, and they ask him. Now, there's all sorts of theories on exegesis and all that. We won't get into that. But it begs the question, okay, it crops up more than once. Does it crop up more than twice in the Gospels? Remember, we have the four accounts of... Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, does it come up more than twice? I think it absolutely does. Let's have a look if we switch over to Mark chapter 14. Now we're in a different time again. At the very end of Jesus' ministry, his three years of intentional training with his disciples. And by this point, there's a lot more, there's not a lot more, sorry, that he has to explicitly teach them. Sure, there's a few final things he's saying to them, but really by this point, the training's almost done. They're ready, at least insofar as, you know, until they receive the Holy Spirit in a few, a few weeks or so later. 
So it's at the very end, before Jesus' death, and not, before, not long before his death, he prays this. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And then he says to them, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, what does that sound like? I think it sounds very much like how Jesus taught them to pray. He's praying it himself and continuing to advise them in this direction. These words, the Lord's Prayer, are not just a set of words to recite. They're great to go back to in that way. But they are actually our master's example and guide to internalize as we join him in the journey of making disciples who make disciples. And what we see here in the book of Mark, in the the gospel of Mark, is that when the pressure is on, Jesus defaults to his prayer life. I know for me, in in this journey of sharing my faith and and, um, spending time with people outside the church, one excuse that I made for a long time when it came to praying for them and asking God to help me lead them to him, one excuse I made for a long time was, I don't have time, God. I don't have enough space. I'm so busy with all the other ways I'm serving you. (laughs) right? And what that really means is just I need to make the space because, Jesus, if this is your priority, it's got to be my priority. I've got to make the space. And so, you know, eventually I've, by God's grace, been able to make a bit more of that space. And as I do that, you know, things happen. You make space for a relationship, for conversations at the park, for alpha courses, and that's great. And then God leads you, and and there's conversations that come up and people he puts in your life. But then what happens to all of that space in your life that you've created? It's gone, because now it's filled up with with the mission of being involved in people's lives in this way. And then... I know this is not any of you because you know you're you're all you know you've got your lives together. But 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 now something happens at work, and, and then the kids get sick, and then the baby's teething, and, and then COVID, and then World War Three, and then you know it, and then it's like, uh oh, now I don't have just not just have no space. Now I've got negative space, and I'm stressed, and I'm and it's and it's full on. And then I have to ask the question: What do I do? When that happens, I've made space for the mission of Jesus in my life. I've created margin in my life and I've stepped into that faithfully, which I know many of you do and have. But then stuff happens. What do you do? Well, Jesus defaulted to prayer, to make space again, to prioritize him again. So so why, why this? Why prayer as a, de- as a default, not a last resort? When we're on the mission we're being called to, it would make sense to kind of go like, Jesus, I need a focus there. I need to keep making space for that. There's people who, who need me. There's people we need, to, we need to be in their lives and give that time. Why make space for prayer? Does it, and the good Christian answer is, well, because prayer works or because prayer, you know, relationship with God should come first or because we almost feel a guilt like, yes, I should do this. But Jesus doesn't teach them to pray because they need a bit of divine assistance to do the other stuff he's asked them to do. Let me say that again. Jesus doesn't teach them to pray because they need help to do the real work. 
He shows them that prayer is not just part of the work, it is the work. Prayer is not just fuel for the work, it is the work. At least this kind of prayer is. Because as we'll see, we're going to go through it in a minute, this kind of prayer is all about getting to know the God who is with them on the mission that he leads them in. God is the one who's changing people's lives, not us. Sorry to break it to you. (laughs) Sorry to break it to me. I'm not changing anyone's life. God is the one doing that. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. We're just invited along for the ride. And that's why Jesus says at the end of the Great Commission, what? He says, first, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teach us to do the same, and I will be with you always. I don't think that was just like a, oh, and, you know, they're there, I'm here to comfort you along the way. I think that was like, guys, you're probably not ever going to be ready to lead the charge in this. It's still me. It's still my mission. I will be with you always because this is my mission. This is my great commission and I'm still in it. I'm inviting you along. I am with you. It's God's mission. And so that is why prayer is not just part of the work, it is the work. Let's look at this prayer, this very simple guide, something that I believe any disciple of Jesus can use to help them to learn to pray. This is not to be like, oh my goodness, this is overwhelming. This is to be, we can do this. We can pray this. And this prayer is all about who God is, his character. So Jesus starts with what? Our Father. You can call God Father. Now thinking back to 2,000 years ago, the Sermon on the Mount in particular, and the crowds who were there listening, these are people who didn't think they could say God's name aloud. These are people who thought, because of the recent history, that God was silent and distant. Silent and distant. Enter Jesus and he says, you can call him Father. You have the same access to him as I do. Be honest, how many of you have read the news about the war in Ukraine recently and thought, I should pray about this, but you actually, you didn't because deep down you're not sure it would make a difference. I'll put my hand up to that. Or your prayer time in the morning has been kind of off and on because in your heart of hearts you know you're, sort of, you're not really 100% sure that he's listening or that he's even there, maybe. Or maybe you've never prayed with someone to be healed because you don't think God will answer and that will be a bit of an embarrassment. All of these are, are examples, in other words, of how, how often do we feel that God is silent and absent? There's little examples of that and there's many others. Not church, of course. You know, not on Sunday morning, hallelujah, praise the Lord, bless the Lord, God is good, right? We're fine on, on Sunday morning, but when life is tough, when we're at home, when it's more difficult, how often do we feel God is silent or absent? Jesus comes in and he says, he's not absent. You can come to him as father. That's about intimacy. That's about saying you have the same access as he did. And Jesus certainly didn't see God as absent or silent. In the Sermon on the Mount, he proceeds this by saying, Go into your room, lock the door, pray to your father in private because he, this is amazing, knows what you need before you even ask him. And so this is where Jesus starts the prayer. But then he also points out in what to pray next that he's your king. A good king empowers his people. A good king delegates authority to others as is appropriate. We read earlier in Mark's Gospel that Jesus prayed, not what I will, but what you will. That was basically saying, submitting to his king's desires, not his own desires. 
But then he also goes to his disciples, don't pray so that you don't fall into temptation. Trusting that God will allow them not to fall into temptation. Our king can empower us to withstand temptation, to continue with the mission, to be his witnesses. And when we, we come to him as our king, your kingdom come, your will be done. We get that perspective right. It's what he can help us to do, not about what we're trying to do in our own strength. Just these two parts of the prayer are just so helpful. Our God is not distant or silent. He's our Father who knows what we need. And our God is our King who knows what's best for me and others and can empower us to keep going when it's tough. As a side note, these two themes of God's covenant relationship with us, Him as our Father, and His kingdom responsibility we have with Him, Him as our King, these are the two primary themes that run all the way through the Scriptures. And it's amazing that Jesus starts His guide to prayer with boom, boom, that and that. This is what the scriptures are about. This is what God, who God is. The, um, he then goes on. And each of these next four tie back to one of those two. But the, the prayer then highlights that God's our provider. right? He's not our employer. An employer you work for, and then when you do the job right, he gives you the pay to feed your family and feed yourself. God's our provider, which means we are his dependents. Right? I only know that term from Centrelink, right? <laughs> Who are your dependents? How many dependents do you have? Like we're de- completely dependent on God. And this is so important because we, 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 um, we go to depend and rely on so many different things all of the time. Money, food, people, resources, housing, shelter, etc., etc., etc. We depend on so many things. So coming back to God, God, you're our provider. You're, we depend on you completely. It sets the perspective right. Everything comes from God. Everything we need and have comes from God. I know I'm constantly relying on a whole heap of other things, so I need to get that perspective right again. Then the prayer reminds us that God is forgiver. It's in his nature to forgive. And, of course, in the Matthew 6, Jesus comes back to this and doubly emphasizes it. It's in his nature to forgive. And so we need to experience forgiveness and extend forgiveness profoundly. When we look around at the world, we would probably agree right, that there are people living lives that hurt others substantially and they are sinful, evil, and need forgiveness more than the saints of the world who are doing a lot of good in people's lives. We would probably agree they, they probably need less forgiveness for their, for their sins because they're, they're really, you know, really stately in what they do. However, it works almost the opposite when we look at ourselves. When we look at other people, it's like Mother Teresa doesn't need much forgiveness, Hitler does. But when we look at ourselves, it's it's different. I very much doubt that Vladimir Putin right now thinks that he needs forgiveness. He thinks he's right. He's doing everything right for the sake of others. On the other hand, the Apostle Paul and countless other saints would say of themselves, I'm the worst of sinners. Why is that? Because it's the way it works in God's kingdom. Those who recognize their need for and receive God's forgiveness extend it profoundly. They love more fully. And then the opposite is true as well. And so again, this way of praying isn't fuel for the work or, or kind of part of the work. This is the work. Receiving and extending God's forgiveness is what making disciples is all about. To go, I am not 
any more deserving than anyone else. God, I need your forgiveness and I need to extend it to others and see your spirit change lives through that process. So this prayer is the work. Then number five, (laughs) he's our protector. Um, the, The word there, lead us not into temptation, it's not, it doesn't so much tell us like God is our guider, or our, our guidance, but more protector. But protection of what? This is where Jesus' teaching can get really um, challenging to our typical Christian mindset about prayer. So I like to pray, God, lead me, guide me, show me what you want to do, right? We're, we're all very comfortable praying that. Make it clear for me, which is not always a bad thing to pray. I'm not saying that. But often what I really mean is show me what to do so there won't be any pain. Show me what to do so that I, if I'm on your path, it's going, to be, it's going to be good. Show me, guide me. But he doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, pray, lead us not into danger. He said, lead us away from, protect, protect us from temptation. As we make disciples, we'll need protection from compromise because there will be danger. There will be spiritual opposition. There will be stuff we don't want to go into. And so we'll want to run from God and run from his path. And in some places in the world, it's persecution. And in other places in the world, it's seduction. Have a guess which one it is for us at the moment. I won't answer that. I'll let you think about it. Which do you think it is for us? Is it persecution or is it seduction into the things of this world? We need to remember that it's not evil people who are tempted to sin. It's normal people. Right? Every single one of us, Jesus was tempted to sin. But God protected him, not from pain, not from, from struggle, but from temptation, lest he turn from God. When you read um, the Bible and all the journeys and trials of God's people, rarely did God protect them from their enemies. But when they turned to him, he always delivered them from their enemies. And so this protection, lead us not into temptation, and deliverance, the next one. He's our deliverer. Go hand in hand. So he's our deliverer. We will be opposed. That might be slander, might be persecution or violence or misunderstanding or frustration. And these oppositions usually make us vulnerable. That's just the reality. And so we've got to know that God is a God who delivers. He doesn't safeguard us so we never get into tricky situations. But when we trust in him, he delivers us from the evil that is happening around us. Those last two, of course, go hand in hand. Protect us from temptation, deliver us from evil. Because the church is being seduced by the world over and over again. We fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We need God to deliver us if we're to bear the fruit of the harvest. We need him to break the chains of oppression. We need him to break the chains of addiction and of consumerism and individualism, both in us and in those we minister to. And so do you see... Again, how prayer is the work. It's not just fuel to go and do the right. As we pray like this, as we pray, deliver us from evil, deliver others from evil. God is changing hearts, ready for us to meet them on the road and declare the good news to. It is the work. And so this Lord's Prayer, this master's class on the prayer life for the disciples, making disciples, it's not, it's not just prayer tactics. Oh yeah, here's a, few, here's a few quick tips. It's an invitation into relationship with God. It's all about learning who he is and, and, and learning that and experiencing who he is, joining God in his work, in his mission. 
And I think that unfortunately, most Australians who believe in God do still think that he's mostly absent, mostly silent, probably a bit of a control freak. And I think a lot of Australians hope that God is good, but they're not really sure. And my worry is that a lot of us Christians feel the same sometimes as well. We hope that God's good, we're not really sure. He sort of seems a bit distant, a bit silent. That's why this prayer is a masterful invitation into relationship with the real God. He's Father, King, Provider, Forgiver, Protector and Deliverer. And that's not complicated. It's not like I've got to be a mature believer to to, to do all this. It's simple. It's masterful advice to a group of amateur learners. That's what they were. Much more amateur than, than many of us in many ways. It's masterful advice to learners who are asking for his help in a sometimes scary journey. And I reckon that means it's helpful for us. So maybe this week, uh, as the music team come up, maybe you can pray for someone and use this as a model. Just pray for a friend. God, you're my father. Be their father. Show them how much you love them. That You're close. God, you're the king. I, I pray for your will in my life and I pray for, for your will in their life and for your will when it comes to our friendship and our conversations. Lord, you're the provider. Give me everything I need to love this friend of mine well, and so on. Right? Use it as a model, a guide. Or maybe as you pray for confidence in this journey of, of, of going and sharing your faith, because you're just not sure where, where even to start, or maybe you've come up against a particular challenge with someone, maybe you pray through this and you just pause when it just seems to... to, to to click. I was praying this morning and as I was praying through this, it was like the forgiveness of God. It just, I just felt like I had to stop there. I don't think I got to the rest. Just, just, just praying on that. Or maybe you can ask God, well, which of this, these six aspects of your character um, do I need to focus on today? There's no hard and fast rule. You'll do it wrong, you'll do it right. But to go here to guide you in your prayer life. This is our masters, our our leaders, our teachers, invitation and masterful advice. So why would we not use it? So Father, we come before you this morning. We recognize you as our Father, our King, our Provider, our Forgiver, Protector and Deliverer. And as we worship you, we just sit with whatever element of who you are you're highlighting to us this morning. We just sit with that, we focus on that, we meditate on that. And as we sing these songs, would you continue to speak to us and reveal yourself to us in Jesus' name.